Hello, and welcome to In the Kitchen with Brett Thorne, a food service industry podcast by Nations Restaurant News and Restaurant Hospitality. I'm your host, Senior Food and Beverage Editor Brett Thorne, wishing you a Happy New Year in what is my first podcast of the year. Uh, I try not to put too much um, weight on New Year's and, you know, sort of calendar-oriented milestones. I don't make resolutions, or I don't make them at the beginning of the year. I try to, if I see something wrong in my life, I try to fix it when it needs fixing and probably have about the same success rate as people who make New Year's resolutions, which isn't that many. But so far, things are are looking, you know, kind of good for 2024. I'm sensing a lot of optimism, good feelings, plans for uh, uh, a robust and dynamic future, a lot of creativity coming from a, uh, a bunch of different people, including my guest today, Johnny Spiro, who you might know from uh, his various uh, restaurants in Washington, D.C., uh, Reverie and Bar Spiro, or his uh, participation in a uh, uh, Netflix series, The Final Table, and uh You might also have known, or maybe not, that his restaurant, Reverie, burnt down uh, in August of 2022. Uh, But he's about to open it again in uh, in February, next month. And so he has uh, done a lot of preparation for that. He, uh, apart from having a third kid... Uh, which he did at, shortly after Reverie burnt down. Uh, he continued to run his other restaurant, Bar Sparrow, and he traveled the world uh, doing pop-ups at a lot of uh, big-name restaurants all over the place. Uh, and he is now back, ready to uh, open his new restaurant and, and share all of his learnings. Uh, the, the pandemic and the fire and being a dad and a bunch of other things have really uh, given him a new perspective, and I think it's one that all of us can benefit from. So I will stop talking and hand it over to Johnny Sparrow. How are you doing, Johnny Sparrow? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I'm glad to chat with you. Uh, about what you're working on. Could you have an old new restaurant opening next month, right? Yes. Yeah. The restaurant, I said I would never reopen a restaurant like that again, and I'm doing exactly that. I had a big borrow and steal, get it open. Uh, Just, yeah, I'm 2-0 for that one. Well, 2-0? Well, I guess I had, like, I thought I was going to, I was never going to repeat myself. I was like, yep, I'm doing exactly the same thing again. So, Bar Spiro is a different beast. Like we, we have a great partnership with our building here and uh, it was a very different kind of raise. And I was like, man, I'm going to, I'm only ever going to build a restaurant like this again, like, make it as easy as possible and, you know, no stress. Uh, and then obviously uh, Reverie was, you know, it's my first restaurant. I had just moved back from Spain. I knew I wanted to open it and I was going to do whatever it took to get that. Like, you know, I had being a line cook for the majority of my life. It's not like I had, uh, a trust fund or a bunch of money saved up. So I had to 
do whatever it took to get it open. And that was like one of the most stressful things. And, you know, I, I had no kids at that time. It was just me and my, my, my wife. And I was like, okay, I'm going to make it easier this time around. If we ever open another restaurant, we're not going to repeat that path. And then, you know, the fire decided it was going to, it was going to wipe it all away. And I was going to have to start over. And again, it's, we got, we were in the same, kind of the same boat, you know, insurance was there, but you know, 2016 versus 2023 prices are very, very different. Uh, so I felt like I was, although making some slightly more mature and like thought out, uh, you know, used critical thinking a little bit more than I probably did the first time around. It's still kind of the same process, but, but yeah, it, uh, it feels good knowing that we're, we're bringing it back. And I, I think, I hope the intent is to make it better than it was. Well, so let's rewind a little and catch our audience up uh, about what you're talking about. Who are you? Oh, yeah. What was Reverie? What's Bar Spiro? What's yeah. what's what's going uh, on, Johnny? Yeah, so I'm Johnny Spiro. I'm a chef here in D.C., and I have two restaurants. I have Reverie, which I opened in 2018, uh, and then Bar Spiro, which I opened up in 2023. So Reverie is my seafood and vegetable tasting menu restaurant. They got a Michelin star uh, and then Bar Spiro, newly opened, a little over a year, uh, inspired by my my time in San Sebastian. Um, open fire cooking, still very seafood driven, uh, but a la carte, kind of meant to be a little bit more more for the masses. It's also, I could probably fit like four reveries inside this space. So very, very different, very different restaurants. So Reverie is coming back, Reverie 2.0, as it's been dubbed by everybody, uh, was taken away from me by a fire. Uh, we've been kind of dealing with this process for the past like 17 months. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's been, been kind of wild. It happened in August of uh, 2022, which is still very weird because I still haven't adjusted to saying 2024. So I was like, no, that was, yeah. So my, uh, my calendar year is still a little, little screwy, but yeah, we lost it, tore it apart and we're in the final stretch of bringing it back. And it was like totaled, right? Like it was a big fire. Yeah, yeah. The uh wow incredibly devastating, like took everything out. Um between the smoke, water, and fire damage, not a single thing was salvageable. Um so just uh kind of insane that you know it's there one night at ten thirty when you leave the restaurant and then gone three thirty the next morning when you're you know standing there and kind of awe and shock and not really sure what kind of emotion to feel. because uh, I, I feel like, you know, the past couple of years for for every industry, not just the restaurant, but um, we were just like so overstimulated with every change that occurred with COVID and, you know, all regulations and, you know, trying to survive and support my family and make sure I was supporting our staff. And you're just kind of staring there just blankly through a completely shattered window to a restaurant that, you know, was there a couple hours ago, just like completely devastated and destroyed. Like I, I love that space and that's why we went back. Um, I never even actually, everyone always asked me, you know, why do you want to go back to that restaurant space? And I don't think I ever even explored any other options. Like I was not going to walk away from it. Um, I spent, you know, years keeping it going and, you know, destroying myself to keep the doors open and make sure we could pay everybody and make sure my, you know, my family had groceries on the table and that I was still able to like have like some kind of, you know, creative outlet. Um, but yeah, like someone asked me, like, do you think you could have gotten insurance money and opened up a new restaurant? I was like, well, shit. I'm like, I don't know. I never, it never occurred to me to even like really think about moving it because it, the story of Reverie is it's down an alleyway off a one way street. 
on the back court of a historic apartment building that no one can find. And we managed to get a Michelin star and get some national attention that way. So why would I, uh, why would I bother changing the location? Because Maybe the location, easier, but yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say because the location you were in was destroyed. Which, yeah. Uh, and so that was August of twenty two. So you were probably thinking, okay, pandemic seems to be pretty much over. Now it's smooth sailing. And then Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely and fate handed you a cruel Yeah. Uh, and we we had uh we saw there was like a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, we we just lost money every year as like every other restaurant and a lot of businesses did. And we saw like, we were like, Oh, well, like our projections show that we'll probably be profitable. Uh, our investors will probably get, get a little bit of return. I might be able to actually pay myself, you know, a better salary. And we were, you know, weeks away from opening up our Spiro. My wife was very pregnant with our third child. Um, so it just, yeah, overnight just kind of took it out. Like I was in such disbelief from that like phone call, the text messages, and even like physically seeing it. I don't think I ever, thought no this isn't happening i just walked and was like all right maybe it's maybe able to sweep it up uh not not the uh needed a little bit more a little bit more work than that so you didn't take any downtime you didn't take to your bed or you know no i I gave myself one day like i after kind of navigating the first day of you know getting um you know a company called surf pro who was already there on site because they were actually they're, they're a company that kind of evolves with, you know, they deal with natural disasters and fire removal and things like that. So they were already there, actually, because there had been another fire in an office building months before. So they were on site. Uh, the insurance adjuster or like, yeah, the insurance adjusters were there on site. Like everybody was there waiting. Uh, and in my mind, they were kind of like vultures. And I was not very nice to most of them. I was like, you're just trying to fucking take my money. I'm like, and try to talk me in one of my most vulnerable states and I'm pretty sure I told one of the guys to go fuck himself, part part of my language, but uh, I ended up using them because I'm like, okay, sorry. I just, I assume sometimes the worst in people that they see somebody that's vulnerable and they want to take advantage of it. Uh, But, you know, after that day of like cycling through that, I I went home, um, you know, I, my wife was there with our two kids and I like, I, uh, I had to take a shower because I was covered in like soot and just, just garbage took my motorcycle out like rode just rode nowhere just like sat on it for like you know an hour outside in the parking lot went home and then started planning what was next you know i had an entire team that was not only my team at reverie but i had the team for bar Spiro ready to go like they were working out of that restaurant while we were finishing construction here and getting you know permits set so i have you know not just my family but all these other people that were relying on me to like make a decision on what we were going to do and how we're going to move forward. So I, uh, just like probably every adult male just repressed every emotion and buried it down deep. Um, I've been alcohol free for five years and I didn't start drinking again, which was, which I think is everyone's the most impressed by. Uh, and then just kind of like put my head down and we worked, we started the whole process of the rebuild, got this restaurant open and then planned out our, uh, our world travels to kind of, you know, keep reverie, alive and kind of redevelop it in our in our mind where we where we wanted it to be and go and found the best way to do that was to get out of dc so yeah i mean i guess in a way uh having a lot of work to do keeps you from like being trapped in your own despair yeah i mean it's i think you know being not buried with you know the or burdened with the responsibility of a lot of other um 
you know, not just my own life, but so many other people and like so many other things that had to get done. Um, that I knew if I kind of like sat idle, something would fall apart and wouldn't turn out. So, uh, yeah, I think the, the fear of letting everybody else down, but knowing that I had like a punch list of things that I had to get done probably kept me from just falling down at like this weird, dark, negative path. Like I had to choose the other direction entirely. Um, yeah, it's good. I mean, it's like, you know, the, like the thing that's kept me motivated the most is like my family. Like we have three kids now. My wife's a stay at home with them. And like, I want to make sure that we can pay our mortgage that, you know, I can keep groceries on the table and, you know, whether, you know, that feeds, that doesn't feed the creative side of my life, but like my children and my family are my life. And that will, a restaurant, as we've talked about, be, can be taken away in a matter of hours, but you know, my family will, will always be there and I have to make sure that I can take care of them and that you know this if i lose everything if i have them then i'm okay so that was like a a very eye-opening kind of like i never i've always loved my family and they've always been the most important thing to me but you know coming home to them after the fire every night that i come home every morning that i get to make breakfast for them whether they're yelling at me because i made them the wrong waffles it's like truly the best part of my day um and it reminds me that you know just because i'm I'm a chef who had a Michelin star restaurant and, you know, I have a bunch of followers on Instagram and I was on a Netflix show that I'm still just a person. I don't live my life by a title given to me by anything else other than that. So, uh, yeah, I'm Johnny your dad, whoever, whoever's calling me that. So yeah. And they're always going to, they're always going to need my attention and I'm always going to need them too. So where the restaurant fills a bucket, my family fills a much larger portion of that. When you also had Bar Spiro, which you said open, you were getting ready to open, right? As yeah, we, yeah so the fire happened out of August. We opened up in September. So I had to, you hmm. know, I, I feel like, you know, we, the opening of Bar Spiro was definitely, I don't say it wasn't strong, but it was, you know, it was, it was weird just because it was hard creating when I felt like I just kind of lost everything. And we had been de developing the menu and I, I don't think we, you know, looking at the accolades that we received in our first year, I mean, we're like Bon Appetit, Rob Report, Esquire, all this stuff, like best new restaurant. Um, and like, you know, I feel like we're always, we're always very much beloved by the industry. Um, you know, chefs love what we do here. And I never think about like, what this restaurant would have been without the fire. I'm like, would we have opened differently? Would the menu have been different? Would we have like still gotten the same, what I have pushed and like focused so hard on this space because I didn't have reverie? Like what we have done would have been the same. And again, you can't go back and think about it, but um, I always wonder if that, you know, if it pushed me more or if it held us back, uh, because I was in such like a weird emotional state, but when we look at like on paper, like what it was and what it's done and then where we're going, I think, you know, it was, it was the, uh, it was not the best thing that could have happened at the restaurant, but, you know, I was able to focus so much more attention on this space, um, because I wasn't working service at another restaurant at the same time. So you know, we did travel quite a bit, you know, for the first, especially for the first like six months of the year, but it was like a week here and things like that, that I wasn't completely uh, removed from here. So I've never actually had to have these restaurants open at the same time, which is like the most frightening fucking thing to think about. Um, everybody asked me, they're like, how are you going to do it? I was like, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, tell me what to do. Uh, Reverie is going to take a lot more. I mean, both, both the restaurants are very much me. I mean, Bar Sport, like Bar Spirit was my you know, obviously my name, but it's like my, my story and like my year living in Basque country and, you know, those restaurants and like that, that nightlife and like how those restaurants made me feel. That's what Barstool is supposed to be, which doesn't necessarily need me be there, like to be there telling the story, but Reverie, like it's, it's an open kitchen. I'm there every single night. Uh, so figuring out how do I, how does one 
not lose by me having to split my time a little bit more. So uh, I'm lucky I have a very good team here who has learned how to take my crazy wild text messages and ideas and turn it into a reality. Um, and same thing at Reverie. So I feel like there's there will be a healthy balance at some point, but don't know if that's going to be three months or a year from now. We'll figure that one out. Yeah, that that does seem to be more of a priority for chefs now, having balance, which is something like pre-pandemic. I don't even think it was part of the conversation. Chefs just work no. themselves to death. It's like work yourself until you're dead. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I saw a lot of like a lot of chefs out of respect who, you know, in their 60s were still in the restaurant every single day, maybe not necessarily by their own choice, but because they were physically in the kitchen. And, you know, I thinking about like, you know, I'm a triplet. You know, my parents did everything they could to keep us, uh, you know, going like, again, roof over our head, food on the table. But, you know, they both worked full time. And like, how do I how do I not be the dad that can't go to the soccer games or can't pick them up for school or can't make them breakfast? Because um, I saw how much, you know, the sacrifices that my parents made to to keep, you know, keep our family going. I was like, how do I how do I do that? But also not not like hurt myself physically by getting three hours of sleep and doing that. So, um, and I think it's, yeah, that's like the greatest, the greatest switch. The greatest thing that come from COVID was that conversation. It's like, well, why do we have to work 16 hour days? No one's holding a gun to your head to do it. Are you a better person at 10? Again, like we still work long hours, longer than we probably should. But um, yeah, when you kind of look at it, you're like, well, the guests aren't going to know if I've been here since eight o'clock in the morning can we still get the same amount of work done? And it's all about, yeah, I think it kind of like put time management into perspective for a lot of us, which we never really had. You thought you had to be the first one in and the last one out or your staff wasn't going to respect you. Um, Cause you try to push them out the door be like, you guys can't work here hundred hours a week. Well, you're they're like, well, you are. I was like, well, it's kind of like the, uh, you know, the do as I say, not as I do where the chef's like, you know, sometimes the opposite where they're out getting drunk or drinking champagne at the bar and, you know, you're grinding in the kitchen. It's like the other way around. It's like, no, you're preaching this work-life balance, but you don't do it. I was like, yeah. So that was the, and when COVID, we didn't have like, you know, a dining room filled with guests. And it was like me and Seamus, my sous chef, who's actually here with me at Barspiro now. Uh, we would, we were like smashing burgers. And then we started going on, you know, we, we both cycled for transport. We're like, all right, let's just start riding our bikes more. And, you know, he's, he's an insane cyclist. It's he weighs like 110 pounds soaking wet and can just like just trying to follow him on a bicycle is wildly frustrating but we would start going on rides for like you know 10 miles 20 miles every day before after we were doing some stuff and it's like oh yeah like we can find things that we love outside of this restaurant it's it's fine you're allowed to have you know hobbies so that's again i'm not very good at that i'm trying to get better at it. like remembering the things that i liked when i was younger like you know i used to play guitar i was like well i haven't touched a guitar in years and I like riding my bike, so maybe I should start doing that a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, not waking up and running straight to the restaurant is not going to be the thing that closes my restaurant. It sure isn't. Yeah. Well, and, and Bar Sparrow and the upcoming Reverie are really different, right? Like Bar Sparrow mm-hmm. is like a fun, festive San Sebastian seafood. Yeah. I mean, it's phys- from like a f- like physical space as well. They're entirely different. Like, Bar Spiro is smack dab in the middle of like downtown off like third and mass, you know, 20 plus foot ceilings, all glass windows. The kitchen's partially exposed, but it's mostly like a dining room and bar. Um, and it's a la carte. It's supposed to be like, you can get like a burger, beer and a shot at the bar. You get like a whole grill turbo. Like it's, um, 
we don't, I don't necessarily call like Spanish food, but it remind it is like what I would go eat at these restaurants in San Sebastian on my night off. And like the way that it like kind of made me feel that's what you wanted to, it's like, yeah, that's like, it's like that style of dining through my lens and reverie is like super small, very, very short ceilings uh, in a back alleyway. And it's kind of like a, an escape, right? Like, so you could be, the whole idea is that you could be anywhere else in the world and you're just kind of like hyper-focused on what's going on in the kitchen. We're delivering all the food and it's very much like a, a sensory experience where, you know, both kind of tell a very similar story, just a, a little bit different. Like it, it talks about my approach to food and our approach to, you know, sustainability as people and product, but entirely different way. Um, so it's, it's fun. They should both feel like they're coming from our team, but that I don't think they could be more, more different as far as like, I guess we also talk like approachability. Um, we don't want Reverie to feel like it's this crazy high end experience that only a handful of people can experience. Like we, we have this like mentality that everybody deserves nice things that we should make an inviting space in both ways. But if you're not on the tasting menu, just go chill at the bar at Bar Spiro and get like a, a burger and, you know, some, some oysters and things like that. And Reverie can kind of indulge in a couple, a slightly longer, slightly longer story, a slightly larger format. But it's tasting menu only at Reverie or will be when you yeah. open. Yep. Um, which, you know, that is a, it's a luxury. It's an expense. Of course. Yeah. Um, and it's like one thing we, like we talk about, like, uh, like obviously like prices and things like that are a lot of people charge a lot because they pay for luxury ingredients and like luxury, but that's also like, I feel like that's a very, it's defined we define what luxury is. So like the ingredients that we use, but also, you know, how we pay our staff. I think that's where a lot of that menu cost comes from. Like I, we want to make sure that everybody can take care of themselves and pay themselves. And like, that's where a lot of our, our focus is gone. You know, sustainability of people is, you know, we care about where our food comes from, but we want to make sure that we can take care of our staff. And so, and we recognize that, yeah, not, you know, not everybody can afford to go eat there every single night. And I, I don't know a lot of people that could, but we treat every guest that comes into that space kind of equal. Like we recognize people that probably saved up for months. And when you see the people that you can probably shell that out on a, a you know a weekly basis, but we want to make sure that both of them feel like they're getting taken care of. And uh, yeah, we, it's like, we're, we're lucky that we can create food in that kind of space because it's, you know, tasting menus are not, there's, I feel like sometimes it puts a target on your back when you have like that price point and that experience, like, some people want to go in just ready to hate. They're like, they're going to charge this this much. Let's see what, the, let's see what they're fucking doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like, you know, with us being there, like not to say like my face saves it, but I feel like because we're right there and we have like this, uh, we break down that, that barrier in the wall and I'm not, you know, some, some asshole chef that's like yelling and screaming at a staff. Like I think we're inviting and they see the environment that we created. It does make it a little bit easier to do what we do um, because they, and I think a lot of, I mean, from a guest facing perspective, I feel like those days of like wanting to go to a restaurant and seeing like the chef yelling and screaming and throwing pots. I don't think that's like, and probably enjoyable. It's probably not what you want to see it's, You don't want to hear that kind of stuff. But if you see a chef who's like with his team and like, not and I, I do lead from the side, like from side to side. I don't think I lead from above. Um, I think that probably means a lot more from a, from a guest perspective. I would, I think, I don't know. We'll see, but because they know we're in it with them. And I think it also helps with our staff. Uh, knowing that we're there with them as well, like all scrub, clean. I've cleaned your toilets. I don't care. Uh, but we're like committed to that. And I think that breaks down this weird barrier of like this uh, crazy Michelin star chef who is just full of himself and doesn't care about his team. When more than anything, like I couldn't do it without them. Um, 
like physically impossible to do what we do without a staff that actually is like committed to being there, whether it's Barcelona or Reverie, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it is funny when, or super irritating actually, when uh, a customer walks in and they're, you know, they're looking for a fight. And yeah. I know as, as a goer of restaurants, as a, as a customer, if I'm with somebody who's coming in looking for a fight, I don't go out with them again. Cause yeah. that's like, we, how is that fun? That's, that's like my favorite table. Like we, when it's a table, you know, that uh, you can tell from the minute they walk in and sit down and maybe the way that they're having a conversation with like our, the host team or like the server, I'm like, that's a challenge that if you can turn that person around, because you have no idea what happened before they came to the restaurant, right? Like they could have gone to a fight with their partner. Someone could have kicked their fucking dog. They're like, great, we're going to take it out on you. It's like, no, like you can, we're, we're not going to be your punching bag and we don't let that happen. Like we've, I don't, I don't let anybody talk to our staff that way, but if I can turn you around and have you like walk out of here with a smile on your face, again, not everybody, but I feel like that is like the best part of what we can do is that you can, you can spot it. You can see it from like mannerisms and like just their touch and the feel like, okay, you have a very, maybe a different expectation of what's going to happen tonight. We're going to break that down entirely and just have like a good fucking time. Um, and that's what, I mean, that's what dinner should be, right? Like it should be yeah. a burger or a taste of any, like you should leave there, not just being like, like it's not a you you know, I went to school and you're like you're getting an education in like the culinary world. It's like, no, I ate really tasty food, I had a fucking party. So and not forcing it either, right? Like not every some people will sit there and not say a word to us and they have the greatest time. But if we can give somebody a little extra attention who might have walked in with like, you know, a little maybe a little apprehensive, especially considering reverie is all seafood, like where's the steak? It's like, yeah, you're not gonna get that. Go to Bar Spiro, it's wonderful. But I'm like we're focusing on what we can get from, you know, from the ocean and, and, you know, vegetables from our producers around here. Like, that's how we like to cook and eat. I don't eat a ton of red meat. So that was kind of like the the biggest push for that. I've always loved seafood. I was like, well, then why don't I just make it all seafood? But again, there's preconceived ideas of a taste. You need like that slice of Wagyu beef, right? No, you don't. You exactly. don't need it, Johnny. You're right. Uh, well, I did the menu. There's no Wagyu beef. We did it. We figured it done. out. So, so how is the new Reverie, which is supposed to open in February, right? Yeah. I say supposed to not to be all negative just because a restaurant's not open until it's open. Yeah, exactly. Like, everyone's like, when's the opening date? I'm like, until I launch reservations, there was no opening date. Like, we're shooting for, like, February, more than likely end of the month. And so how is it going to be different from the old Reverie? Um, well, when Reverie, I feel like there's, like, three phases of Reverie's life, and I'll keep them very short. Like, the opening of Reverie was uh, we wanted to be something for everybody. So we had a bar, the burger lived there. We had like a tasting menu you could do. We were a la carte. It's a 2000 square foot space that we fit 70 seats in, which is insanely stupid because we out cooked ourselves every single night. And we just couldn't, we couldn't be consistent enough because we didn't have, again, we couldn't please everybody. And that's all I wanted to do. Um, and then right before COVID, we decided, okay, we're doing all tasting menu. This is what this restaurant's supposed to be. I know we built the restaurant to be something different, but it just... It wasn't working the way I wanted it to. And again, right when we were ready to make that change, COVID hit. So we went from a la carte to COVID smashing burgers. Uh, once we kind of got like a little bit more clarity of like what the world was going to be like during that, like we had basically cut our staff down by half because um, we had to, right? It was just, it was just me and a couple of cooks and one front of the house staff. Like we had one server for most of this. Like, okay, we're going to do some small tasting menus and we're just gonna, we're going to get back to that still doing carry out. We did pizzas. We did all kinds of shit. Um, 
but we uh, we kind of found our voice and our focus in the middle of COVID, which was, okay, we're doing tasting menu. The kitchen will deliver all the food. We don't need a lot of hourly staff because it was like impossible to do at that time. Uh, and then once we kind of got our, got the star and we kind of developed a lot more systems, like, okay, we can have a little bit of help from the front of the house staff. So they're not just responsible pouring wine and then we'll hire some more cooks. But I mean, all together in service, there's like eight of us, which is not, not a lot. I mean, that's, that's kind of crazy. So with the reopening of Reverie, we changed the layout a little bit because we were always kind of working against ourselves. We built the original Reverie had like a counter around the kitchen, which was our only kitchen space. Everyone thought we had like a basement kitchen. It was like, no, it's this tiny little space that we had like 20 seats around. Altogether, we had like 70 seats. We just, there was no space for us to actually cook. We had nothing in the back of the house that we could like plate on. It was all refrigerators and a dish pit. Um, so we decided to really refocus the restaurant, like eliminated the counter, moved the kitchen around a little bit. So now we have an actual place to work. And we went from having like 70 seats to 28, which is more realistic for a 2000 square foot restaurant. Um, so no more counter, which a lot of our guests, and I'm sure a lot of people are probably telling me that they're mad about, but, um, it was so much harder to do what we do in that space. We did it, but it doesn't mean that we did it in the best and most efficient way. So now we have like a true kitchen space with prep and room for us to do everything that we need to do. Uh, and we can focus more on the service side. So we'll actually have like some captains and floor songs that can really give a little bit more of that, you know, that higher end service touch that we just lacked, like a lot of the kitchen staff would go top water off and like we would do the wine pairing sometimes too, which I still want that to be a part of our story because that's who we are. But having a fully dedicated front of the house staff that isn't just, you know, um, you know, a part-time college kid that worked at the coffee shop next door, like they helped build what it was. Um, but we want to like, it's still reverie. It's just slightly grown up a little bit, not necessarily mature, but we, we've added some more touches to make, make sense of it. Like we, it's all the things that we wanted it to be. Um, I just recognized that I couldn't do everything, right? I was like the general manager and head chef for the longest time. We brought in some people to do wine. Um, we just want, we want it to be, not to say less stressful for our team. We want it to be just like this more, like what we always talk about, like bl blurring the line between back of the house and front of the house. But we didn't really, we had like, you know, most of our staff was kitchen. So we've evened it out a little bit. So like there's, there's more, this, uh, it's more balance. The, the back of the house can deliver the food and cook. They don't have to do everything else. Like we have like a true dedicated front of the house team that'll really focus on service touches. Um, again, with the expectation of a tasting menu, you can get away with a lot when it's you know the kitchen and we're we're doing some stuff and it's kind of funny and quirky to see like a cook kind of stumble over his words when he's describing a dish. But you know, missing a fork and a spoon for a dish and like they're sitting there without silverware, you're like, all right, so you got to stand there for like thirty more seconds and someone's gonna scramble. Like we just want it to be less of a scramble and more of like. It's like ease of service and flow. And we built a restaurant that now can do that. So um, it just means that I can talk a lot more and not have to run around like an asshole. Well, and just because you are a good cook doesn't mean that you can or want to talk to people in the front of the house. And, yeah. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily have to be your job. Yeah. It's one, of, it's one of my favorite. Like, we'll have some cooks that are dedicated, like, to the inside line and then some cooks that are dedicated to, like, plating and running food. And we'll switch it up, like, I do like that the majority of the staff that we attract, they want to engage because they want they want the notoriety. They want people to know like, hey, I started making that at like, you know, 10 o'clock this morning and it's going to be gone in one second. But, you know, it's it's so much like there's a labor of love that goes into it. And if you see the person that makes it, I feel like it, it kind of like uh, it kind of helps the the guest appreciate what's going on a little bit more. And I 
and I I like when like some of them are some of our cooks are a little bit more like robotic in their in their conversation like shrimp tart with a flower on it they're like okay and then there's some that I had to like kick them not kick them but you like you kind of hit we we have like a like you just kind of like touch their like right on their back you just like kind of poke it a little bit because mm-hmm. they're talking too much so we like a good balance right there's like the people that like to tell a story and be a part of that experience and there's others that that do like it as well they just don't want to they don't want to engage in the same way and that's fine like no i'm not forcing anybody to read a script but at some point you're going to drop off one course um we just want we want we like it helps them too like i feel like we had get like you know cooks that didn't want to say a word to anybody and then by the time they were done with us they're the ones that just wouldn't shut up and like the greatest way like all and the guests will we have regulars be like oh where's uh you know where's so-and-so or like oh yeah they they're at you know mini bar now whatever it be so it's cool that our our cooks people know their names which i think is important like they should get some attention totally yeah uh and it's funny for some reason well i'm not going to get into it because i have a long long thoughts on that but i want to ask more about you johnny because you uh you did a whole bunch of uh, pop-ups while yeah. conceptualizing the new reveries. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So like from the day after the fire, we recognized that we had to keep reverie alive. Like the physical space was going to take a while to get back and I needed a reset. Like the space was going to be rebuilt. Like I think it was time that I gave myself some time to like, I probably should have taken a vacation. Uh, but instead we we did this and went into other people's kitchens, which in a way was like, I need to also not think of that as like, personal travel like, it was definitely work but we took the opportunity to kind of travel all over the world like I took rally with me everywhere uh wanted to get a crash course and like find dining because he's only it only ever really worked for me but also for me to like go work with like like-minded people and like you know I staged a lot of restaurants when I was younger and when you become an owner it gets incredibly hard and difficult to do that um I was like okay let's let's bring up some of those conversations that we had like before COVID and during COVID about traveling and cooking with these people. Cause it's like the best time to do it now. So we went to from January till May and we've done a couple since then, but we went super hard. We were in California for two weeks. So we started off in Oakland and went to Los Alamos. We came back and then in February we were in South Korea, March, we were in Brooklyn, April, we were in Portland, Maine, May, we were in Kyoto and San Francisco. So we like went all over the world, brought, you know, some of the things that, that are like near and dear to our heart as far as like the ingredients that we use that are from around here. But like, for the most part, it's like, let's embrace everything they have there and then start from scratch and kind of see like, you know, we have our recipes, we have our technique, we have our touch. Let's use only Korean ingredients and see how that goes. And a lot of that, it's like, you know, it's, it was interesting to see how our food translated into a literally like a different language, uh, but still very much felt like us, which was kind of like this really cool, moment where I realized like Reverie Reverie truly had a voice and so did I and it didn't matter where we were cooking it was always going to be like that like you could get getting fish from Japan or Korea or Oakland California and you could always taste Reverie uh which was which is cool like we could go anywhere in the world and still feel that we had our identity solidified and it became even more so towards the end of that where I think we even now like looking at the new menu that we're going to have um I feel like it's you know it's a it shows everywhere we've been, not just like, you know, from the beginning of the restaurant to the travels uh, to like where we wanted to go. And like, it just pushed us to really kind of throw away a lot of the old, the old dishes that we kind of had as like, I mean, during COVID, obviously we had like some crutches that we knew people were going to love only serve, you know, there was things, but we, we use as like a reset, but yeah, there's, you know, we use a lot of Korean ingredients for this one dessert because we met the family that have been doing it for decades. And like we built a relationship with them. 
And I think that's what food's supposed to be about. It's a story and a relationship. It has to taste good, but there's a, every single one of those restaurants, every single one of those dinners will now be reflected in the menu, whether or not it's like a stamp of like, this is what we did in Portland, Maine, but it changed me and it helped me kind of grow a little bit. So whether it's not, it's like as a parent, you know, if it's, I, I say Korea because we're using strawberry gochujang from Korea. And that's like a very easy one to say, like, oh, that's right. You were in Korea. Um, but maybe just like a touch or approach or like the way we, we think about food, every single one of those chefs and restaurants and teams and trips had an effect on us, uh, whether it's as a parent or not. So that was, a uh, that was, that was definitely one of the most tiring things that I've ever had to do. I mean, we would land, go right into a kitchen at seven in the morning, prep all night, do dinners, and then hop on a, a flight back and go straight to Barsperio and my family. Um, and again, everyone's like, oh, it must have been nice to go on vacation. I was like, fuck, I wish right taking a week to do that but it's like you know i owe my wife a lot of a lot of vacation time with our kids too but um we got to work with some of the best chefs in the world and you know in the united states and like just see so many different you know their their mentality and their process and how they treat their staff and treat their product and you know it not that we wanted to take any of it we wanted to like justify what we did and it's like all right yeah these are good people doing a very similar thing like I think we had the right approach, like how they, mostly how they treat their staff and like where they're sourcing stuff. And uh, they kept pushing us to like, okay, let's not, let's, there's no easy way out of this because there's no, you can't phone in a fine dining tasting menu. You can't like pre-buy this stuff. It's like, let's keep building the relationships. Let's keep pushing ourselves in this way because this is what everyone expects of these restaurants. And it's probably the expect of us too. Like we always say we have like imposter syndrome where I still see myself as like this, you know, 15 year old line cook. Um, and then I, you know, look at the, my DMs on Instagram and email about everyone trying to come work with me. I was okay. I'm not, you know, I'm 38. I'm not that, that young kid in the city anymore. Like people look at us as like a, one of the best and they want to work with us. I was like, okay. So we have a responsibility of showing this younger generation as well as like, you know, people that are my age, this is where we're going to get these ingredients from. This is how we're going to treat our staff. And this is like the, there's not to say there's a right or a wrong way, but this is like the best practice that we could find. But we're also open to like learning new stuff. Like we, we don't know everything. I'm not the, I'm not the best chef in the world. I don't know the best way to like build a sustainable menu, but I'm trying to learn. And I think that's the, the biggest, the biggest thing to teach anybody. Like if you're, if you feel like you've hit a point in your career where you can't learn anything, whether it's a new technique or how to better source or sustain something, then you're, you're an idiot. Agreed. Yeah. So, so that sounds like it was an incredible journey or sets of journeys. How, how do you, finance stodging all over the world uh well so like we they paid for the host restaurant would pay for like me and one person and we would like put us up in like a cheap hotel we usually did like two or three nights of dinners that are like a slightly higher uh rate for the restaurant to be able to sustain that um but yeah like i i'm like please do not think you need to put us up in like a five-star hotel find the cheapest airbnb that you can find but they would find we you know we planned it out far enough in advance that we could find some relatively cheap airfare um we'd share like you know super small especially like in kyoto and you know korea we had like these small rooms like nothing luxury because we're like we're going to be with you all day don't worry about that like i want to make sure this is like not a financial wash for you most of those dinners probably broke even it covered you know our travel covered their labor um so we didn't lose any money on any of these things which was that was the point i was like having these conversations with these guys was like i do not want to be a burden on you if we can charge a little bit more and like that gets that covers like it's, it's good PR. Like we were, I think every dinner we did sold out, you know, weeks in advance. Um, so we never had a moment where we we're like worried about, you know, making sure we were able to cover our costs because 
we they were all pre-booked you know months before we even showed up so that was that was the most important thing to us like nobody was going to spend like we had to spend money on labor on my end and my head chef but that was like through the insurance process we had to make sure that we were we had a we we had them on there for the, the reporting of that stuff but everything else was let's let's make sure we're not burdening them with a bill i mean i i don't ask for anything much I'm like if you can get us there if there's a couple stops and be the shittiest cheapest flight do that i'm like don't because we i mean we did the first way to river we brought so many people over and uh, some people asked for like better you know better flights and you know we couldn't do first class like i'm like put us in coach i don't give a shit i'm like i will i will do whatever whatever i can to get out there and make sure that we're not we're not hurting your your business as a small business owner i don't want to put that burden on anybody well done. And you said you took Rally with you everywhere you went. Who was Rally? Rally is my head chef. So he started with me in August of 2020 as a, he, he just wanted to spend a couple of days in the kitchen. He had just graduated college in finance and then he was in a very different career path, but he always loves cooking. So he obviously during 2020, very hard to find a job and wasn't really sure what he wanted to do. So he uh, started with me within like a month, I was like, Hey, if you want to be a paid employee, you can, you can work here. Then went to sous chef and then head chef. So he's 25, 26. Um, but again, I had to, we had to report like a loss of, you know, labor and, you know, revenue and all this stuff. So we had to keep, uh, some people employed and, uh, most of the other team, we, we put them in other restaurants. Some of them came here. Uh, some of them went with friends, but rally stayed with me and he's been with me, you know, for like almost, you know, a little over three and a half years at this point. Uh, but he he's like helped me kind of develop and like uh, he's very good at spreadsheets and very good at like helping me figure out the not say the the boring part of it but like how do we organize ourselves in a better way so it's not just me having to do everything he's like we can build a recipe build a technique and build a system.